Hello, and welcome to Bird of the Week. It's a podcast about birds, released on a non-weekly basis. Episode 4, The Hexen Nest. You know, I bet you feel pretty smug sitting in your nice warm house with your four walls, a ceiling, floor, furniture, and power sockets. Ain't no animal making house like no people can, you say, using your excellent grammar. But there, you would be mistaken. Sure, us people have been making structures for a couple of thousand years, but birds, they've been in the architect business for millennia. Oh yes, when it comes to raising a barn, birds don't do that, but they can build a great many other marvellous things. And that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. Now, I will hand it to mammals. We have one thing over birds. That's right, one thing and one thing only. Mammals give birth to live young. Although, I suppose laying an egg does seem a lot easier than childbirth. Yep, you know what, scratch that. Mammals don't have anything over birds. But when you lay an egg, you are faced with a problem. What are you going to do with this fragile thing? Some birds don't care a chirp. They look at the ground and think, hey, it's good enough to stand on, it's good enough to lay on. So they slap their egg on the bare earth and call it a day. Sure, birds are the main offenders. Turns, plovers, waders and the likes. Filth. They make, and for those of you playing at home, I'm using air quotes here, they make something called a scrape nest. Surnamed because they get this, scrape out a bare patch of earth, making a small divot into which they pop their egg. Job done. Now, just how great a strategy this is for egg safety, eh, it's still an open question among bird parenting experts. After all, the ground tends to be the place where most of the things that want to eat an egg live. At this point, we must introduce the white tern. They're an especially elegant bird of the sea. They're pure white with large black eyes. They're like the angels of the ocean. Now, the white tern, which, fun fact, isn't actually a tern at all, they're more closely related to noddies. How are noddies and terns different? Well, actually, you don't need to know this. Let's scratch that. Now, the white tern saw all this putting an egg straight onto the ground and thought, hey, we can do better than this. Guys... We can fly. Why don't we put our egg in a tree? And so, that's exactly what they did. They lay their eggs in a tree. How unremarkable, I hear you say. Well, hold up there, son, or daughter as the case may be, because you are dead wrong. You see, some habits die hard, and the white turn isn't exactly up on the whole nest-building thing. And I kid you not, they lay their egg straight onto a bare branch, no nest necessary. As you might expect, this isn't a particularly secure place to leave an egg, and they lose a number of eggs and chicks whenever a strong wind blows because you laid your egg on a branch. But they seem to keep surviving, so I guess we can't judge. Filth. That does bring us to nests, though, because if you're going to put an egg in a tree, you might want something to stop it from smashing on the ground. A lot of birds use tree hollows or crevices on cliffs to tuck their eggs into, but we're not talking about those birds. We're talking about birds who make things. Now, when you think of a nest, you probably think of a little basket of sticks wedged between a couple of branches, and yeah, there are 
plenty of birds that make nests like this, and they come in all shapes and sizes. The bee hummingbird makes a nest out of moss and spider silk, which is about the size of a thimble, while the bald eagle is known to make nests up to three metres wide and six metres deep. That's so big, you could keep a giraffe in there. You know, if you needed a place to store a giraffe. Probably going to get murdered by the bird, though. Another fantastic metaphor there, Nate. But a basket made out of twigs is just the starting point when it comes to nest building. Let's begin in Australia with a family of birds known as the megapods, so named because of their big, some people might call them mega, feet. Uh, you know, pod equals feet. This is a group of birds kind of related to chickens, but unlike most birds, they don't incubate their eggs by sitting on them. I mean, who's got the time, am I right? Instead, they make what could be the most basic structure known to humanity, a pile of rotting trash, sometimes as big as a car. Let me lay out the strategy. What you want to do is push together a big old pile of leaves and trash, make it into a mound, lay your egg on that, and then cover it with more leaf litter and sand. As your pile of trash rots, the process of organic decomposition makes a lot of heat, and you use that heat to incubate your egg. Males create these piles, and the females choose their mate based on the quality of their rotting trash pile. The goal is to keep the interior of their pile at about 33 degrees Celsius, and they do this by checking the temperature with their beak and then adding or removing material as necessary. So I think we can all agree that a pile of rotting trash is pretty impressive, but you know, maybe, just maybe, we could do one better. How about a pile of rotting trash, only this time it floats on water, kind of like a trash barge. Grebes are behind these constructions, Evolution took the grebe down an interesting path. They're ace little swimmers and divers, and they hunt for food by scooting about underwater. To dive, they tuck their wings up, flush against their body, and propel themselves about with their strong feet. To get greater power and agility, Evolution gradually set their legs further and further back on their body. Can you picture a duck waddling about on land? Their legs are kind of, you know, under their centre of mass, right? Well, this ain't how a grebe waddles. You see, if you saw a grebe standing on land, and you almost never do, it looks like their legs kind of come out of their butt, and when they walk, they can hardly get themselves upright. Their centre of mass is just all in the wrong place. Actually, I guess to be fair, our legs kind of come out of our butts? But for the grebe, it just doesn't work, so they avoid land as much as possible. And that means when it comes to nest building, they try to keep things aquatic. The parents will dive and bring up rotting plant material from the bottom of their lake, and construct a floating raft of rotting trash. Of course, this raft has a habit of sinking, but the answer, as always, is to add more trash. As the structure sinks, they just keep adding more litter, propping up the eggs to keep them out of the water, and as the plant material continues to rot, the heat it releases helps to incubate the eggs. Yeah, as far as strategies go, it's certainly a choice. But most birds don't rely on rotting trash to incubate their eggs, floating or otherwise. So let's drag ourselves out of the water and get into a tree. That's what birds do. They hang out in trees and they make nests in Africa. Oh, you know, they, they make nests on other continents too. That should have been, they make nests, period, new sentence, in Africa. 
Wait, why am I explaining this? In Africa, there is a tiny little finch-like bird that has taken the strategy of accumulating a pile of plant material to a whole other level. They're called sociable weavers, and they make one of the most eye-catching nests around. It's almost as if someone managed to get a haystack into a tree, and basically that's what it is. Working together as a social group, these tiny birds gather up bits of straw and shove them together until they've made a haystack in a tree. And this stack of hay isn't only used as a place to keep their eggs, oh no, sociable weavers live in a harsh desert climate. Through the day, the temperature can soar, and at night it can plummet. But inside their big old stack of hay, they're protected from the sun's harshest rays and then kept snug and warm at night. A single nest can have individual apartment rooms for hundreds of birds. In the largest nests, up to 300 pairs can call it home. Some apartments are used by parents raising a family, while younger birds might bunk together. It's a good strategy when it comes to huddling for warmth, splitting the rent, or sharing a Netflix account. Generation after generation of birds maintain these huge nests, and some have been known to stay active for over a hundred years. The only thing that threatens these nests is if our little weavers become overly zealous and make them so massive that the tree can no longer support it and the whole structure just collapses into a heap. But that doesn't keep them down for long, they just get up and start all over again. But this does bring us to the more interesting avian architects, the weavers and the tailor birds. Yeah, properly speaking, sociable weavers don't really weave per se, they just shove straw into a pile. But their closely related cousins do stay true to their name. They take sticks and strip them back to reveal long fibres, and then using only their beak, they twist and pull them about branches, creating intricate and tight knots. Working meticulously, they weave baskets that hang from the bottom of branches. In some species, the males do all the weaving in an attempt to impress a potential female partner. I mean, for once, finally a mating display that actually makes sense. The females will only choose the male with the sturdiest foundation. Uh, you know, if something that hangs can have a foundation? That's not the best metaphor, maybe I should cut that. Juveniles and less experienced males will do their best, but sometimes they might not have a wall or a floor. Meanwhile, the master architects can create a whole hanging street lined with their nests and filled with their babies. At first glance, it seems like a lot of trouble to go to, making these intricate and carefully designed baskets of twigs suspended from the bottom of a branch. But a nest is so much more than just a place to plop an egg. It also offers protection. I don't know if you've noticed how tasty an egg's benny is, but let me assure you, it's also the go-to item on many other animals' menus. A nest that's open to the air isn't stopping anything from tucking in, but a closed ball of sticks is a little harder to get at. Raiding hawks or other raptors can't get at it, and any cuckoos that might want to lay their egg in your nest will have trouble as well if the entry is made small enough. And even snakes will struggle to reach something suspended from the very end of a branch. Now, there are many birds that deploy a whole range of defensive strategies when it comes to protecting their eggs. In Australia, the yellow-rumped thornbill is a tiny bird which would stand no chance of repelling the larger, fiercer currawongs that want to eat its eggs. With no chance of outmuscling its foe, the thornbill relies on cunning. It builds a nest which to the untrained eye looks like any other nest. It's just an open cup built out of twigs. But this cup is a decoy. On the underside of the nest is a secret entrance, and the parents will duck in and out of a tiny hole 
to reach an internal cavity where they hide their eggs. Any predator passing by will see nothing but an already raided and empty nest. Other birds use a more active form of predator deterrent, a type of South American weaver, the Kanakei, and I remind you there is no consensus on how to say that word. Kasik. There is no consensus, I say. The Kasik will pick trees that have large wasp colonies living in them. Why the wasps aren't bothered by the birds, I don't really know. But if anything like a monkey comes into the tree to raid the nest, the wasps will arch up and repel the invader. You know, funnily enough, the wasps themselves favour trees where colonies of Aztec ants live, because they repel the wasps' worst enemy, army ants. Yeah, it seems like everyone is just watching everyone else's back in these trees. But of course, the best way to avoid a predator is to, well, avoid them. In the tropical Asian jungles, the common tailor bird has mastered this by building a nest in plain sight that is practically invisible. The tailor bird builds a nest by drawing three or four large leaves together. It will then use its beak to pierce holes along their edge and then stitch the leaves together using spider silk or some other plant fibre. So delicate is the tailor bird that it can create a cupped and enclosed nest without killing the leaves. They stay green and alive and act as perfect camouflage to keep their nests hidden in living foliage. Yeah, it's really quite astounding. So those are nests, but there is one family of bird that makes an incredible structure that isn't a nest at all. They are the bowerbirds, and they make, uh, well, bowers. Now, there's a lot that could be said about these birds, because there are about 20 or so different species in the family. Maybe one day I'll do a proper deep dive, but for now... Let's just do like the Titanic and hit the tip of the iceberg. Many Australians will be familiar with the satin bower bird. They build what is called an avenue bower. They shove sticks in the ground and create a kind of, well, enclosed avenue that one could walk through, you know, if one was the size of a bird. And famously, they love gathering blue things. Hmm, I wonder if they ever look to the sky or the sea and yearn to collect it. Ugh forever unattainable. They decorate their bowers with these bright objects in the hope it will appeal to a female. Why a collection of blue junk arranged next to two walls of sticks would be appealing is anyone's guess. Satin bowerbirds are polygamous, and the males play no role in raising the young. Presumably, the females want a male that can arrange blue junk in an appealing way in the hope that one day her own children might grow up to arrange blue junk in an equally appealing way. There can be no other explanation, and indeed, it's a worthy construction for a bird to pour its time into making. But when it comes to bowers, the sound bowerbird is one of the more unremarkable builders. Well, you know, that is, except for the bowerbirds that don't make bowers at all. And, you know, I, I, I guess the satin bowerbird is more of a middling bowerbird. But McGregor's bowerbird creates what is called a maypole bower. Now, I know what you're thinking. Oh, McGregor's bowerbird. Is that named after the former governor of New Guinea, Sir William McGregor? And no. No, it is not. You have fallen into the classic, the classic McGregor name trap, you beautiful, beautiful fool. No, McGregor's honey eater is named after him. The bowerbird is named after his wife, Mary Jane Cox McGregor. But uh, it gets them every time. So McGregor's bowerbird will select a sapling tree and pile up a tall structure of twigs all the way around its trunk. It then treats this pyre kind of like a Christmas tree and adorns it with a wide variety of flowers, bits of fruit, and 
dissected insects, just for good measure. Around the base of the tree, he lays down a ring of moss and then builds up walls around that, creating a kind of mossy moat. He uses the moat as a kind of stage, and when a female arrives, he will call and strut about, flaring a brilliant red crest, and then the two will chase each other around the pole, which can look a little bit like a game of peekaboo. Now, McGregor's bowerbird can also be a bit of a jerk, and rival males will often visit each other's display sites to sabotage and destroy the rival's maypole. Yeah, it's a pretty lousy thing to do, but I suppose all fair's in love and war. Now, the last bowerbird I want to mention may be the most drab and plain-looking of them all. They are small and brown and look like any other nondescript bird. But they make the most remarkable structure. This is the Vogelkop bowerbird. Now, let me clarify for what I can only assume are the countless German speakers in the audience. They are so named, not because they have the head of a bird, I, I like to think most birds do, but because they come from the bird's head or Vogelkop Peninsula in Papua New Guinea. Now, I'm going to shoot straight with you. The Vogelkop basically makes a house. It finds a sapling and builds a large domed structure around it. It has an opening in the front which enters into a huge inner chamber. These things stand about 1 meter high and have a diameter of about 1.6 meters. And, like all good homeowners, he maintains a lawn. The male will strip clear the ground in front of his hut and replace it with a nice layer of moss. And it is onto this lawn that he places his decorations. The Vogelkop bowerbird is a great collector of treasures. Now, the satin bowerbird only likes blue things, but the Vogelkop, these guys will gather anything and everything from beetle shells to flowers and berries and feathers, even colourful fungi, fungi? Anything that might be pretty or shiny. They also covet rare or novel items, and males have been known to steal each other's treasures if one should find something particularly unique. Each male also favours collecting different things and different colours, and each has an aesthetic style all of his own. They meticulously arrange these objects according to colour and shape, one might have all orange flowers to one side, or purple beetle shells to the other, while another might focus on collecting the black dung of deer, you know, each to his own. An individual bird will work on his bower for his entire life, adding sticks to the hut and rotating new treasures in and out. Just exactly how the females appraise these bowers is anyone's guess, but they inspect both the structural soundness of the bower and the aesthetic arrangement of the treasures. And if she is well impressed with his artistic choices, they will mate. Few birds devote such prolonged effort to maintaining such complex structures. And the thing that really captures my imagination is that each male makes its own choices about what it's going to collect and how it's going to arrange them at its bower. It's almost like they have their own individual artistic tastes and make active choices about how they're basically going to put their own personality on display. I think it's revealing of a deeper intelligence that's going on with these birds. And the same is true of the weavers. Birds that create complex nests by tying individual pieces of twine together need to hold in their mind what the end product will look like and understand how each twist and knot will get them there. They really are smart creatures. And next time, that's exactly what we're going to talk about. Just how smart is a bird? Could they beat you in a game of chess? Could they do your tax return? Almost certainly not, but we're going to double check and find out just how bird-brained are birds. I hope to see you then.
is one bird, however often I release this podcast not enough for you, then I've got some good news. If you'd like a bird to arrive in your inbox each week, simply send an email to weekly.bird at outlook.com and I'll add you to the Bird of the Week mailing list. No ads, no subscriber fees, just beautiful birds flying at you each and every week. Until then, this has been Bird of the Week. Oh, also there are swiftlets that make nests out of their own hardened saliva, but you know what, we can talk about that bird later. Oh, and oven birds make mud huts. Why are there so many birds?